Chapter Four of Book Three of Les Misérables, Volume Five, by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin. Les Misérables, Volume Five, by Victor Hugo, translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book Three, Chapter Four of Volume Five. He also bears his cross. Jean Valjean had resumed his march and had not again paused. This march became more and more laborious. The level of those vaults varies. The average height is about five feet six inches. And has been calculated for the stature of a man. Jean Valjean was forced to bend over. In order not to strike Marius against the vault, at every step he had to bend, then to rise, and to feel incessantly of the wall. The moisture of the stones and the viscous nature of the timber framework furnished but poor supports to which to cling, either for hand or foot. He stumbled along in the hideous dung-heap of the city. The intermittent gleams from the air-holes only appeared at very long intervals, and were so wan that the full sunlight seemed like the light of the moon, and all the rest was mist, miasma, opaqueness, blackness. Jean Valjean was both hungry and thirsty, especially thirsty, and this, like the sea, was a place full of water where a man cannot drink. His strength, which was prodigious, as the reader knows, and which had been but little decreased by age, thanks to his chaste and sober life, began to give way nevertheless. Fatigue began to gain on him, and as his strength decreased, it made the weight of his burden increase. Marius, who was perhaps dead, weighed him down as inert bodies weigh. Jean Valjean held him in such a manner that his chest was not oppressed, and so that respiration could proceed as well as possible. Between his legs he felt the rapid gliding of the rats. One of them was frightened to such a degree that he bit him. From time to time a breath of fresh air reached him through the vent-holes of the mouths of the sewer and reanimated him. It might have been three hours past midday when he reached the belt-sewer. He was at first astonished at this sudden widening. He found himself all at once in a gallery where his outstretched hands could not reach the two walls and beneath a vault which his head did not touch. The grand sewer is, in fact, eight feet wide and seven feet high. At the point where the Montmartre sewer joins the grand sewer, two other subterranean galleries, that of the Rue de Provence and that of the Abitur, form a square. Between these four ways a less sagacious man would have remained undecided. Jean Valjean selected the broadest, that is to say, the belt sewer, but here the question again came up, should he descend or ascend? He thought that the situation required haste, and that he must now gain the scene at any risk. In other terms he must descend. He turned to the left. It was well that he did so, for it is an error to suppose that the belt sewer has two outlets, the one in the direction of Bercy, the other toward Passy, and that it is, as its name indicates, the subterranean girdle of the Paris on the right bank. The grand sewer, which is, it must be remembered, nothing else than the old brook of Montelmont, terminates, if one ascends it, in a blind sack, 
that is to say, at its ancient point of departure, which was its source, at the foot of the knoll of Manilmontant. There is no direct communication with the branch which collects the waters of Paris, beginning with the Quatre Popincourt, which falls into the Seine through the Amelot-sur above the ancient isle of Louvire. This branch, which completes the collecting sewer, is separated from it under the rue Montlemontant itself by a pile which marks the dividing point of the waters between upstream and downstream. If Jean Valjean had ascended the gallery, he would have arrived after a thousand efforts and broken down with fatigue and in an expiring condition in the gloom at a wall. He would have been lost. In case of necessity, by retracing his steps a little way and entering the passage of the Filet de Calvaire, on condition that he did not hesitate at the subterranean crossing of the Carrefour Boucherat, and by taking the corridor Saint-Louis, then the Saint-Gilgut on the left, then turning to the right and avoiding the Saint-Sebastien gallery, he might have reached the Amelot sewer, and thence provided that he did not go astray in the sort of F which lies under the Bastille, he might have attained the outlet on the scene near the arsenal. But in order to do this, he must have been thoroughly familiar with the enormous madrepore of the sewer in all its ramifications and in all its openings. Now he must again insist that he knew nothing of that frightful drain which he was traversing, and had anyone asked him in what he was, he would have answered, in the night. His instinct served him well. To descend was, in fact, possible safety. He left, on his right, the two narrow passages which branch out in the form of a claw under the Rue Lafitte and the Rue Saint-Georges, and the long bifurcated corridor of the Chaussée d'Antin. A little beyond an affluent, which was probably the Madeleine branch, he halted. He was extremely weary. A passably large air-hole, probably the manhole in the Rue d'Anjou, furnished a light that was almost vivid. Jean Valjean, with the gentleness of movement which a brother would exercise toward his wounded brother, deposited Marius on the banquet of the sewer. Marius's blood-stained face appeared under the wan light of the air-hole like the ashes at the bottom of a tomb. His eyes were closed, his hair was plastered down on his temples like a painter's brushes dried in red wash. His hands hung limp and dead. A clot of blood had collected in the knot of his cravat. His limbs were cold, and blood was clotted at the corners of his mouth. His shirt had thrust itself into his wounds. The cloth of his coat was chafing the yawning gashes in the living flesh. Jean Valjean, pushing aside the garments with the tips of his fingers, laid his hand upon Marius's breast. His heart was still beating. Jean Valjean tore up his shirt, bandaged the young man's wounds as well as he was able, and stopped the flowing blood. Then, bending over Marius, who still lay unconscious and almost without breathing in that half-light, he gazed at him with inexpressible hatred. In disarranging Marius's garments, he had found two things in his pockets. The roll which had been forgotten there on the preceding evening, and Marius's pocketbook. He ate the roll and opened the pocketbook. On the first page he found the four lines written by Marius. The reader will recall them. My name is Marius Pontmercy. Carry my body to my grandfather, Monsieur Gillenormand, Rue des Filles du Calvaire, number six in the Marais. Jean Valjean read these four lines by the light of the air hole and remained for a moment as though absorbed in thought, 
repeating in a low tone, Rue des Filets de Caverne, number six, Monsieur Gilmermond. He replaced the pocketbook in Marius's pocket. He had eaten. His strength had returned to him. He took Marius up once more upon his back and placed the latter's head carefully on his right shoulder and resumed his descent of the sewer. The Grand Sewer, directed according to the course of the valley of Melimontan, is about two leagues long. It is paved throughout a notable portion of its extent. This torch of the names of the streets of Paris, with which we are illuminating for the reader Jean Valjean's subterranean march, Jean Valjean himself did not possess. Nothing told him what zone of the city he was traversing, nor what way he had made. Only the growing pallor of the pools of light which he encountered from time to time indicated to him that the sun was withdrawing from the pavement and that the day would soon be over, and the rolling of vehicles overhead having become intermittent instead of continuous, then having almost ceased, he concluded that he was no longer under central Paris, and that he was approaching some solitary region in the vicinity of the outer boulevards or the extreme outer quays. Where there are fewer houses and streets, the sewer had fewer air-holes. The gloom deepened around Jean Valjean. Nevertheless, he continued to advance, groping his way in the dark. Suddenly, this darkness became terrible. End of chapter 4, book 3, reading by Joyce Martin.